Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is an abbreviated edition of Primetime Politics because of the emergency debate tonight in the House of Commons on the Tech Mine Project in Alberta which we know has been abandoned by the company, and we heard lots of debate on the impact of that decision, and about the wider debate over energy investment and the climate for that in this country, and of course the divides over climate change policy. There was lots of debate today as well over the continuing anti-pipeline protests and blockades that keep popping up across the country. And some ministers are expressing optimism that there could soon be a breakthrough. Let's bring you up to date. Mohawks of Tyendinaga near Belleville continue their protest even though their main cap near the rail lines has been removed. They're still promising to disrupt rail traffic. Protesters from the Six Nations Territory shut down commuter train service this morning in Ontario between Hamilton and Niagara Falls. And in northern BC at least two hereditary chiefs were arrested at a rail blockade near Hazelton last night. Protesters have blocked the BC legislature and the port of Vancouver, although some arrests have been made to break up that port demonstration. There are rail blockades in Sherbrooke, Quebec, and highway blockades in other parts of the province. And the protesters promise to continue these blockades and protests until the RCMP leave the Wet'suwet'en territory, as demanded by the hereditary chiefs in northern BC, who oppose the gas pipeline through that territory. Today on Parliament Hill, the Prime Minister and his Cabinet met to try and find a path forward and to continue uh, their peaceful negotiations and discussions. And the Minister of Indigenous Services emerged to suggest there have been discussions that give him reason for optimism that there could be a solution. The question is, when? Here's Mark Miller speaking with reporters in Ottawa. Can you give us an update, sir, on the, the state of uh, things? Yeah, well, there were discussions yesterday, the content, the content of which I am not free to, to disclose, uh, but we'll be working uh, throughout the day to continue our open dialogue to uh, work towards a peaceful conclusion that we've always been looking for. There's more and more barricades being put up. I think Canadians see a situation that seems to be getting worse, and they want to know what, if anything, the federal government can do to address it. Well, we can, we can act as the federal government does, which is facilitate that open dialogue that needs to be had with, uh, with the hereditary chiefs. Um, over the last over the last few days, uh, there has been some back and forth that has been um, modestly positive. Uh, again, the importance is to is, is to discuss with with those chiefs uh, what the measures are with respect specifically to uh, the de-escalation of the RCMP uh, community uh, community outreach community center that is on uh, kilometer twenty nine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just finish my sentence with Catherine uh, it, to to. Fin to to de-escalate and to the satisfaction of the hereditary chiefs. That seems to be what is, uh, in part, ensuring, at least from a solidarity perspective across, the, across Canada, uh, the maintaining of the barricades, in particular at, in Ganawage. Uh, il y a eu une communication à l'entremise euh, entre autres de Nathan Cullen. Euh, on, on a pu communiquer nos messages, mais encore une fois, nous attendons les résultats prévus qui étaient déterminés à partir de, de vendredi, lorsqu'il y a eu une entente téléphonique avec la GRC en Colombie-Britannique, d'avoir euh, cette rétroaction lundi, donc hier, 
euh, et, et, et ce plan de match pour, la, la, pour le démantèlement du processus de police, de, de processus policier à, au, sur, sur, sur l'allée de Coastal Gaslink. Et donc, pour clarifier, hors de tout doute, euh, ce n'était pas une question d'enlever la GRC sur, euh, sur, sur ce territoire de 22 000 km, mais bel et bien euh, ce centre communautaire qui euh, causait pour les chefs héréditaires cette friction. Et donc, c'est quelque chose à ce qu'ils réclamaient et ce que, ce que les gens, ce que les communautés qui ont érigé des barricades réclamaient, c'était la satisfaction de ces chefs héréditaires. Mais eux disent que ce n'est pas suffisant. Donc, vous, vous parlez de « moderately positive feedback ». Vu d'ici, ça n'a pas tellement l'air positif dans l'optique où eux estiment que c'est insuffisant, cette offre-là de la GRC. Donc, qu'est-ce que vous savez de plus qu'on ne sait pas qui vous permet de dire que ça avance? Parce que vu de l'extérieur, ça a l'air pas mal satisfait. Bien, vu de l'intérieur, cette lenteur euh, était très frustrante, euh, sans doute. Nous avons eu une, une percée euh, vendredi euh, avec, avec les chefs, un point, un conférent, une conférence avec moi-même et Mme Bennett pour discuter des pistes de solutions. Ce qui a été exprimé lors de cette rencontre, c'était euh, la volonté de deux parties à en venir à une solution qui était pacifique pour, euh, pour apaiser, évidemment, ce que vous avez constaté et ce qui arrive à travers le pays. Euh, encore faut-il avoir cette discussion euh, préférablement euh, face à face. Euh, il y a eu beaucoup de va-et-vient, mais encore une fois, ce qui a été convenu vendredi avec la GRC en Colombie-Britannique durant un entretien avec les chefs héréditaires, euh, c'était d'avoir cette rétroaction hier, euh, les résultats duquel je ne peux pas partager publiquement, mais nous continuerons à travailler sur ceci. What was requested was the uh, was the de-escalation of the RCMP um, community outpost at kilometer 29. Uh, that was provided by letter and confirmed by the BC Commissioner on Thursday with a follow-up letter on Friday. There was then subsequently a discussion uh, with the hereditary chiefs Friday night um, as to a, a pathway towards uh, confirming that that was the case. There was a lot of back and forth over the weekend whether that a particular measure was actually done to the satisfaction of the particular hereditary chiefs. There was a group that was in British Columbia and a group that had traveled to Tainanega and then to Ganawage. Obviously, uh, with the communities that have put up barricades in solidarity for the Wet'suwet'en hereditary leadership, the satisfaction had to come not from the Canadian government, uh, as, as we had been at pains over the last four days to try to demonstrate um, through letters on Thursday and Friday from the BC Commissioner, but also, but specifically from those chiefs. Um, there was, a, there were some that were, had remained in BC and some that had re remained, um, that had come to come east. Uh, on, on Monday, there was a follow-up, that was yesterday, the results of which I'm not at liberty to, 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 to share with you. But um, a, cl a clear, a, cl a follow-up with the, with the, a, a follow-up with the BC, um, police force, RCMP to, uh, and the hereditary chiefs in order to, to, to look at a step plan for, for de-escalation. And um, again, we'll be at liberty to share that with you when we do have a chance. situation? Comme on le sait tous, et comme vous l'avez vu hier, il y a un protocole d'entente et d'engagement spécifique 
aux Autochtones. Euh, nous, avons, en, nous avons tous appris les leçons du passé, euh, que ce soit Everwash euh, ou que ce soit dans la crise d'Ocode, d'y aller très délicatement. Euh, c'est clair que c'est une situation très volatile. Toujours important dans cette situation d'avoir les communications ouvertes avec ces communautés qui se sentent vulnérabilisées. Moi, j'ai eu horreur de constater hier, lors de la rencontre communautaire à Ganawagi, qu'il y avait des, des, des enfants, évidemment, qui étudient en réserve, qui se sentent maintenant plus vulnérabilisés. Et euh, ça me fait penser, en tant que député, euh, en tant que Canadien, qu'on est meilleur que ça et que, évidemment, les personnes qui ne devraient pas, absolument pas payer le prix, c'est les, les enfants, euh, d'autant plus que ce sont des Autochtones qui se sentent vulnérabilisés. Et, euh, et visé. Euh, on est mieux que ça. Et, et la réalité, en même temps, c'est que le, notre, notre, notre pays souffre et euh, nous voulons évidemment la, la levée des barricades, mais euh, quand on prend un pas en arrière, il faut réaliser qu'on est meilleur que ça comme pays. Mais, M. Miller, est-ce que vous Uh, the police forces of this country. These are decisions that are taken independently and with the le lessons of Viperwash and Oka, we know that there is a particular protocol that needs to observe when, uh, when engaging with uh, Indigenous communities. It is, it is a phased protocol that, that is always aimed. And these are, our police forces are tasked with preserving the peace, first and foremost. Uh, and so that engagement has to be cautious um, and has to be respectful. And, um, Given that there is uh, a very important uh, job in this country for all of us, whether we're politicians, to keep the peace and to, to, to push for peaceful, re peaceful resolution, uh, that is precisely what I am doing. And, and, and as a country, we're starting to see the repercussions of, of some of this vitriol that we see coming out. Um, I heard yesterday about uh, Indigenous children that study off-reserve uh, potentially being targeted. And I think as, a, as an MP, as a father, as someone that takes a step back and loves my country, that we need to be a bit better. Um, and we are much bigger than this. So uh, it's, it's immensely frustrating for me to, um, to hear a number of things that, that come up, whether it's on social media. Um, we're all aiming. Every level of government is aiming for a peaceful resolution of this conflict. In our discussions with the provincial governments, uh, they have been very positive. Uh, we're all aiming towards a peaceful resolution. It is, it is clear in some circumstances that there, there may be some frustration. There's frustration across Canada, but I, I take a step back and, and I think um, let's look at resolving this in the right way. We have an opportunity to do so. We have now an opportunity to engage with hereditary leadership um, and make sure that, that, that our, our, our back and forth or our discussions are Are, are both aimed at resolving this in a peaceful way, and that's precisely what we're going to do. Je ne vise aucunement, Monsieur, Monsieur Legault. Um, nos efforts, en tout temps, c'est d'en arriver à une solution qui est pacifique. Uh, évidemment, vous me posez des questions sur, sur, monsieur, sur monsieur Legault, mais Monsieur Legault, uh, il vise aussi une solution pacifique. Il euh, ne faut pas se leurrer dans tout ça. Euh, la sécurité de, ses, de nos citoyens leur, lui est très chère et il m'est très cher aussi. Alors, euh, prenons un pas en arrière, pensons à ce que nous faisons, pensons, pensons à la situation dans laquelle on se trouve et essayons, euh, force en nous, d'en arriver à cette solution qui est pacifique. Mais est-ce que nous attendons de voir si les chiefs de la hereditaire sont heureux et comment nous savons?
we're all aiming towards a peaceful resolution of this, Julie. You'll know uh, as soon as we are able to, to discuss this uh, publicly. Uh, a lot of this has to do with um, back and forth and discussions, um, negotiations in some cases that hasn't occurred or has occurred and hasn't, has, has, been, has been frustrating. But at the same time, um, based on my optimism from the call on Friday, with the chiefs, um, there is a path towards resolving this in a peaceful way. Fair enough. Quand est-ce que vous attendez à pouvoir avoir un update et avoir du mouvement dont vous pouvez nous parler? Ben, vous, vous le verrez en temps et nous travaillons voilà. euh, minute, euh, minute par minute, heure par heure. Euh, on, moi-même et la ministre, et la ministre Bennett, euh, nous travaillons d'heure en heure à essayer d'en de, arriver à cette rencontre face à face pour discuter euh, des enjeux. Évidemment, le point pivot euh, est et a toujours été ce point, ce centre communautaire policier euh, et, et le démantèlement des opérations qui, qui existaient jusqu'à date. Are you anything closer today to getting a meeting than yesterday? I believe so. How so? I believe so because we've had uh, we've had communication that's been positive. Um, our, I go back to the discussion I mentioned earlier about um, a, a, you know a modestly positive discussion Friday uh, with the hereditary chiefs. You know, conscious of the fact that you know a part of them was were in BC and part of them were moving to Tyndanaga and to Ganawage. Um, now they're back in one place and they are in discussions today with, there had been discussions yesterday with the RCMP and, and we'll be deliberating today and we're, we're eager to hear the results. Have you spoken to Coastal Catholic at all about That was Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller today suggesting there's been some progress in trying to get a face-to-face -face meeting with the hereditary chiefs of the Wet'suwet'en in hopes of bringing an end to the rail blockades that have been popping up across Canada. Canada's farmers, they're talking about the impact they are facing from the rail blockades today. Leaders of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, representing some 200,000 farm families across the country, are in Ottawa to make their concerns known to the government. Today, they warned that farmers are being severely affected by looming shortages of propane to heat barns or feed for animals. The vast majority of it shipped by rail. And they're warning about possible food shortages on Canadian store shelves as well. Here are the representatives from the Federation of Agriculture outlining their concerns and speaking with reporters in Ottawa today. Canadian agriculture is quickly reaching a tipping point where the impact of these blockages will move beyond simply being financially devastating for farmers. If these blockades continue, we will soon reach a point where we can no longer acquire propane to heat barns or feed for animals. Our trucking sector is overwhelmed with demand and does not have the capacity to fulfill it. For our Quebec chicken farmers, 85% of their barns are exclusively heated by propane, and roughly 80% of that propane is delivered by rail. They need approximately 1.1 million litres of propane per week. In Quebec alone, there are roughly 30 million birds being raised, and some suppliers are rationing propane only half filling farmers' tanks due to shortages. We are risking an animal welfare problem in this country. As farmers run out of propane to keep their animals warm and comfortable and deal with the lack of availability of food to feed them. The kind of stress this puts on farmers and their communities is difficult to convey to you today. 
This is the second major interruption in rail service alone in the past months. Both of these interruptions have nothing to do with Canadian agriculture, and yet we continue to pay the price. The uncertainty and complete lack of control farmers continually face creates an overwhelming amount of stress, further, further negatively contributing to an already alarming mental health situation in our community. We cannot continue to have our livelihoods held hostage every time a group wants to put pressure on government. These interruptions also greatly affect Canada's ability to be a reliable and trusted trading partner. If countries cannot rely on Canada to honour their agreements, they will soon seek out other, more consistent trading partners. I have received phone calls from apple farmers as their washed, grated and packed, ready-for-market apples sit in rail cars, slowly rotting. Purchasers are already telling them that they will be forced to source apples elsewhere if these farmers are unable to fulfill delivery. These blockades are having consequences that will reverberate for years to come. If they continue, the damage to Canada's reputation and agri-food industry will be severe. The President of the Retail Council of Canada stated five days ago that food stocks in Quebec grocery stores could be affected by the blockade as early as this week. Grocery shortages have already been reported in Ontario, New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. The threat to Canadian food security from an access perspective is real. This is something that should never happen in a country that is the fifth largest exporter of agri-food products. We produce more than enough food, but that is immaterial if it cannot reach Canadians. Currently, there are roughly 50 ships sitting in the West Coast, waiting for farmers' products to arrive and be loaded so as to be delivered to international markets. Each and every single one of these ships charges fees for each day they sit in port. We have seen estimates that these fees, along with capacity loss, contract penalties and deferred sales, are costing $63 million a week. These extra costs will not be paid by ports or rail companies. These extra costs will come directly out of farmers' pockets at a cash crunch time when we need to prepare and invest for the coming crop year. At this point, I can already tell you, this coming year will be extremely difficult for Canadian farmers. The theme for our AGM is producing prosperity for the next decade. And I will admit, it is difficult to focus on the potential of the future when our current set of circumstances is so grim. We need decisive actions and leadership on this file. Canadian farmers and our trading partners around the world need to know that the railway system is reliable and consistent, that a small group cannot freeze our entire transportation network. Farmers are frustrated with continually dealing with obstacles that are beyond our control. This situation is real and we need it to be fixed immediately. We know that Canadian agriculture can be a big part of the solution for economic development, climate change, and food security. We are Canada's second largest employer and contribute almost 7% to national GDP. 
Our country is the envy of the world. The combination of our natural resources and our agriculture value chain is viewed, viewed as one of the best models in the world. Canadian farmers need to get on with what we do best. But we cannot do that when we are struggling to survive and when our entire industry is held hostage as collateral for an issue we have nothing to do with. I would now like to invite any questions. If you would like to ask about specific issues on our commodities, we do have representatives from the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, Fertilizer Canada, Chicken Farmers of Canada, the Pork Council of Canada, as well as representatives from Western Grain Farmers, Farmers on the East Coast, and Quebec. I guess I'll start. This is on. Uh, I'm Annie with CTV National News. You mentioned that you're at a tipping point, and I guess this might be a question for different industries. I'm wondering how much longer your specific industries can handle a road blockade becomes it, before it becomes an even more serious and, and crippling problem. We do know that 85% of the propane uh, moves by rail, uh, so we do have uh, a small amount of propane that is moving by truck. Uh, we know that our trucking sector is severely stressed. They were before we got into this situation, and now there are further demands on them which are unreasonable and, and we can't expect them to fill it. As far as how long it will go on, it's difficult to answer that question as we've never been to this point before. So with rationing and excellent management on the, and the part of our propane suppliers as well as our producers, we will go as long as we can. Uh, any other industry or that's good? We've been told by a Quebec supplier that uh, we still have propane for the next seven to ten days, but it varies from region also. So, but it's uh, another week will be... Uh, will be as much time as possible we could uh, uh, maintain this. We have to, these situations have to move. We're also learning today that CN and CP over the last week were able to get some of those uh, freight trains moving to allow some supplies to be delivered. I'm wondering if your industries noticed that this movement and if that sharing of the lines does stop, what impact would that have on the agriculture industry? We understand that that movement has been just to the west uh, and nothing to the east. So as we look at the issue of propane for heating barns and feed to get to animals on the East Coast and in Quebec, uh, that I don't believe has been addressed. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Mathieu Goyer de Radio-Canada, une question pour M. Groslot. D'abord, à quel point on est rendu à un point critique? Quelle est la situation à l'heure actuelle? Bon, la semaine dernière, on a fait le point avec le ministère de l'Énergie et Ressources à propos du propane. Le ministère est en train de faire une, une vérification des inventaires pour avoir une, une bon, un portrait juste de la situation et prendre des mesures par la suite pour limiter l'approvisionnement à certains secteurs prioritaires. Mais on est dans cette discussion-là actuellement avec le ministère. Euh, au niveau de l'approvisionnement à la ferme, de, notamment du soya et du tourteau de soya, euh, ça aussi, ça devient une situation qui se complique. Euh, on est en discussion avec la fédérée et d'autres groupes, la coopérative fédérée, là, pour essayer encore une fois d'évaluer les inventaires et de voir à comment on va réagir ou comment on pourra assurer que tous les producteurs, du moins le plus longtemps possible, 
puissent être approvisionnés, là, dépendamment de leurs fournisseurs. Alors, on, là, on est plus en évaluation de la situation, mais grosso modo, 7 à 10 jours euh, sont les estimations que nous avons du, des stocks qui nous restent, là, euh, autant au niveau du propane que du soya, pour euh, faire face à la situation. Et en sous-question, euh, la ministre Bibot la semaine dernière, évoquait une amélioration du programme de compensation fédérale pour les producteurs agricoles. Où est-ce qu'on en est? Avez-vous une proposition concrète euh, de la part de la ministre sur des compensations euh, à verser aux producteurs canadiens? Bien, je ne répondrai pas à cette question. On est dans un autre sujet que la situation euh, provoquée par la… Mais justement, la ministre Bibot disait à cause de la crise actuelle, il faudrait okay. revoir les compensations. Ah, Où est-ce okay. qu'on en est là? Je n'ai pas eu de, de discussion avec Mme Bibois à ce sujet-là euh, depuis. Donc, je sais pas. Uh, Lee Berthume, Canadian Press. Uh, I'm going to ask a similar question just about whether you have asked or are hoping for either emergency assistance from the federal government at this time or over the more long-term compensation as well. We haven't gotten to that point. Our main focus right now is to ensure that we see rail reinstated and we get back to business. Uh, that, that is certainly where we've been focusing our efforts. And once we get through this, we will certainly be assessing the situation. And this is just, you know, we've had a, a myriad of, of issues in this past year in particular, which I think you're all well aware of, everything from incredibly difficult weather to uh, loss of access to international markets to uh, rail disruption after rail disruption. So. Uh, we certainly are at a point where our nation should be concerned that our government show leadership and investment to ensure that our agricultural resources properly shored up in these difficult times. And, and emergency assistance, is that uh, anything you have raised or plan to raise in the We next haven't little gotten bit? to that point yet. Okay, thank you. Pour Monsieur Groslot, uh, Madame en parlait un peu plus tôt de la situation pour les agriculteurs, les répercussions sur le stress et la santé mentale, là, vous diriez que dans la dernière année, avec ce blocage qui s'ajoute, où en sont les agriculteurs et qu'est-ce qui se passe pour eux? Bon, là, c'est sûr que jusqu'à maintenant, personne, aucun agriculteur n'a encore manqué d'approvisionnement de propane ou de, ou de tourteau de soya ou autre ingrédient. Euh, mais c'est certain qu'il y a un stress qui s'installe. Puis l'autre élément qu'on n'a pas mentionné, c'est les prix qui augmentent actuellement dû à une rareté possible euh, de ces produits-là. Alors, euh, j'ai eu des appels des gens du Bas-Saint-Laurent. Plus on va vers l'Est, plus la situation se complique. Donc, dans le Bas-Saint-Laurent, en fin de semaine, des gens s'inquiétaient de l'approvisionnement en soya pour euh, leurs troupeaux. Euh, donc, c'est sûr que le stress va augmenter au fur et à mesure que la situation va perdurer. Alors, c'est pour ça qu'on demande au gouvernement de trouver des solutions à ce conflit-là, à cette situation-là. Euh, ça fait 19 jours que le blocage euh, est, est en cours. Euh, il faut dénouer cet impasse-là. Il faut que le transport des marchandises reprenne au Canada. C'est vital pour notre économie, mais c'est particulièrement essentiel pour le secteur agricole. La ministre Bibot sera ici ce soir. Oui. Euh, vous avez entendu là, la réaction des ministres du gouvernement, du premier ministre lui-même. Qu'est-ce que vous allez lui demander? Et sincèrement, avez-vous confiance là, devant ce qui se produit? Bon, on est obligé de s'en remettre à eux. C'est eux le gouvernement. C'est eux qui ont cette situation-là à gérer. Euh, Jusqu'à maintenant, leur stratégie euh, donne plus ou moins de résultats. Alors, c'est sûr qu'on va questionner Mme Bibot sur la suite des choses, quelles sont leurs intentions, quel message envoie-t-on aux producteurs dans les prochains jours. 
Puis ce que je tiens à dire aussi, c'est que même si la crise se réglait aujourd'hui, avant que la situation revienne à la normale, on peut être en situation de pénurie. Là. On l'a vu, nous, l'automne dernier, la situation de la pénurie de propane s'est pas résorbée au lendemain de la, du règlement du conflit de travail. Ça, ça prend encore 10 à 12 jours et même plus, dans certains cas, avant que la situation revienne à la normale. Alors, c'est sûr que dans le cas actuel, même si ça se réglait aujourd'hui, ça ne veut pas dire que les conséquences ne seront pas importantes. Alors, c'est également ce qu'on a dit à M. Trudeau dans la lettre qu'on lui a envoyée. On demande également que le gouvernement fédéral soit responsable des dommages qu'aura subi l'industrie agricole, les secteurs agricoles, de cette situation-là. Mais ça, très rapidement, ça, c'est en quelque sorte une forme de compensation ou avez-vous envisagé des mesures de bien, mitigation? Éventuellement, éventuellement, il y a des entreprises qui peuvent euh, être en situation financière très difficile euh, s'ils sont en pénurie d'ingrédients pour le, approvisionner leurs troupeaux ou de propane pour chauffer leurs bâtiments. Bonjour, Catherine Lévesque, La Presse canadienne. Mes questions sont encore pour euh, M. Groulot. Euh, votre collègue en anglais l'a abordé un peu plus tôt, mais justement sur cette entente temporaire, là, le gouvernement nous dit qu'il y a une entente avec CP actuellement pour avoir certains produits de base, euh, comme du propane d'ailleurs et, et d'autres produits pour les agriculteurs. Euh, votre collègue a dit que ça ne se rendait pas dans l'Est canadien. Comment se fait-il et comment expliquez-vous cette situation? Là, faut, là, je ne suis pas au courant, je ne peux pas expliquer la, pourquoi ça ne se rend pas dans l'Est. Euh, Mais votre constat, donc, c'est qu'actuellement, ben, c'est… Les dernières que informations que j'ai, c'est que vers l'Est, il n'y a pas de mouvement de marchandises. Est pas, alors, est-ce que ça a changé depuis hier? Je ne sais pas. OK, très bien. Et puis, euh, on a entendu, là, bon, certains agriculteurs dans les derniers jours dire que si la, si la situation se continue, ils devront décider quels animaux devront mourir, quels animaux devront survivre. Je me demandais, est-ce que c'était généralisé? Est-ce que c'est votre constat actuellement dans, dans l'industrie? Il y a, il y a le, la sec, le secteur de la volaille qui a besoin de propane pour euh, chauffer les... Euh, les bâtiments. Il y a aussi les maternités dans le secteur porcin qui ont besoin de propane. Ça va dépendre aussi de la température. Là, on a eu un, quelques jours plus cléments. Euh, si la température demeurait plus chaude, bon, la situation s'aggraverait moins rapidement. Euh, mais on n'est pas rendu à décider qu'est-ce qui va se passer. Si jamais on était là, ce serait sans doute le MAPAC, le gouvernement du Québec, qui aurait à prendre des décisions également. OK. Mais quand vous parlez d'une période de 7 à 10 jours, est-ce qu'on parle de conséquences aussi désastreuses que, que de, dé, de décider quels animaux devront Bien, mourir? Je, nos discussions avec le gouvernement du Québec, c'est que le secteur de l'élevage pour l'approvisionnement en propane serait priorisé. Alors, parmi les autres secteurs qui utilisent du propane, euh, encore faut-il qu'il y en ait. OK. J'ai juste une dernière question rapide de mon côté euh, avant de passer à mon collègue. Quel impact est-ce qu est que les, les consommateurs peuvent s'attendre à avoir, euh, justement? Est-ce est qu'on peut s'attendre, si la situation se continue encore une semaine, à des rations, à une augmentation de prix? Et, et comment vous voyez ça? Au niveau des consommateurs, au niveau des, du détail ou des consommateurs, moi, je n'ai pas encore cette information-là. Je ne sais pas si… Euh, consumer. Uh, Any comments on the, the impact um, price-wise? for Canadians if, if the situation continues on for, for food and uh, yeah. so what we do know is producers in Canada are price takers that means that we're paid a price at our gate and we have very little opportunity to affect that price 
So it means that these additional costs that we're facing, which we said were $63 million a week for our grain growers alone, uh, those will come directly out of primary production. And our ability to pass those on does not exist. So as far as how it's going to impact the price of food, that's a difficult question for us to ask because the price of food is only impacted a very small amount by what we get paid. Sorry, just a couple of follow-ups. Um, could you could you just explain that a little bit more in terms of why why uh, this will be swallowed by farmers largely as opposed to passed on to consumers? Perhaps you could tell me who I could send my bill to and then I'd send it to them. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, does it not flow down the supply chain or like we why not? are why it? the foundation of this supply chain. We are the foundation of this supply chain. Um, you, you said that uh, you were looking for decisive actions and leadership on this file from the government. Can you be more specific in terms of what you're actually wanting from the government at this point? Well, we do know that we're farmers and we know we're pretty darn good farmers and we focus on doing that well and we know we have a government that is in charge of governing and we will leave that to them to find a quick resolution to this issue and moving forward as we go down the, the thought process of how this is going to impact us in future. We're also going to be asking or are looking to government to come up with long-term solutions so that our transportation network is protected from this kind of activity. But we are not in the, in the business of governing, we're in the business of growing food. Hello again, I'm Peter Van Dusen. We have been listening to leaders of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture speaking with reporters today about the impact of the rail blockades on farm families. Now to Alberta, where the government of Jason Kenney today introduced legislation to protect critical infrastructure in the province from blockades or protests. The Alberta Premier insists the decision by Tech Resources to abandon its application to develop a massive oil sands mine in northern Alberta was based in part on the protests and blockades across the country in the past three weeks. Well, here's the Alberta Premier taking questions from reporters today about his legislation to protect critical infrastructure. Premier, I wanted to get you on something that you mentioned yesterday. You said that you had multiple conversations with the CEO from Tech regarding his concern about public safety and how that was going to be cited at his release on Sunday. So did that conversation happen Saturday night when he phoned you? We had two conversations. We had a call on Saturday evening uh, and a call on Sunday evening. Uh, and in both instances, he stressed that their decision had been in, uh, rendered in part because of, quotes, uh, public safety concerns. And the fallout from, from this application process? Yes. Minister, will this bill affect how fast you, uh, the government can respond to, say, blockades? So, for example, CNRL had to go get a, an injunction to, to, of course, it might not be necessary, but uh, will they still have to go get an injunction under this? Or other than the fines, which is uh, take a substantial faster response to this? Yes, we're, we're building into this parameters to help streamline the process for law enforcement to be able to enforce the law. Uh, I'd actually argue that an injunction wasn't even required in this most recent situation. Uh, this, you know, sometimes a company takes you know, their own measures to help get clarity and help you know, make sure that law is enforced. Uh, this will help provide greater clarity for law enforcement to take timely action. So this bill, uh, <clears throat> a private corporation will not have to go to court now. That's correct. Please can move in at any time. Well, I, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'll, no. Just, I'll just supplement that say uh, these the kinds of offenses that we're addressing with enhanced provincial penalties here are already against the law. You, you can't go and stand in, in, in a highway uh, and put uh, dangerous debris on a railway. The, the, 
this does not, it does not require, like I, I think we've suddenly in the last three weeks begun to think that, <laughs> that the law is made on a case-by-case -case basis by the courts through injunctions. That is not the case. These kinds of acts are all already against the criminal code. Um, and what this does is to uh, add enhanced provincial penalties. But if there is an injunction, that's always a, uh, a, a possibility uh, for the Crown or for uh, relevant businesses or municipalities or other people withstanding to go before a court and seek an injunction that effectively compels the police to enforce the, the law. And then if there is uh, a violation of that injunction, then there can be a, an additional penalty for contempt of court. Sorry, just, just to follow up on that. So I guess the idea then is to tell people there are more penalties, penalties than there were before to try and maybe make them think twice. And if they actually do go ahead, you can move faster with a heavier hammer? Correct. And uh, to be clear, these things are, these kinds of illegal protests on critical public infrastructure are already illegal, but apparently that those disincentives have not been strong enough for some people. This, uh, we are using, look, Alberta does not have criminal law power, obviously, but we are using the powers that we do have uh, uh, to create uh, summary offenses of this nature with penalties, with, with administrative fines, with potential jail time. Uh, to, to say that we're, we're giving police and prosecutors additional tools to crack down on illegal uh, blockages of critical infrastructure, and we're adding to the disincentive for that kind of lawlessness uh, with the power that we have under Alberta legislation. Under trespassing, like, uh, it would be, uh, like currently it's trespassing, right? So what penalties would someone face under for a trespassing offense, just to compare with what you're, you guys are proposing here in this bill? Oh, well, it, when, on private property trespassing, we introduced a whole bunch of legislation last, you know, last session. Uh, this builds on similar principles from that. Uh, you'll see when the, in the bill uh, that the one distinct difference is that this one has a minimum fine that's built into it, uh, and as well as every single day that it continues, it's a, it's a new offense. So we've built in some other principles into this to help you know, send a clear signal that not in Alberta, do not do this type of activity. But it was just a simple, like if it was just a regular <clears throat> trespassing um, violation, what would, what would the fines be? Would it, would it be what you, you introduced last fall, or is it under the criminal code, would there be... Under well, the criminal code is separate federal legislation. Uh, under provincial legislation, we have you know the bills that we introduced last session were around trespassing, which has the fines. Uh, it clearly sets up the fines up to ten thousand dollars. This situation here, you know, the fines go up to ten thousand dollars in the first instance, and then on, on subsequent instances, which actually could be day two, goes up to twenty-five thousand dollars. So these are stronger than what we have right now in, in the province of Alberta. It builds on the foundation of what we passed last session, uh, and again, it's sending a clear signal: we want property rights as respected. We're going to defend our critical infrastructure in Alberta. So on the first day, a bunch of people are standing on the tracks. You can find one per, each one of them $1,000 on the first day. You could find them up to $10,000 on the on first, first day. day. And then up to twenty-five on the second and subsequent days. Correct. And they could face jail time of up to six months each. Correct. All right. We're just going to go to the phones really quick, please. Um, operator, can you put through the first caller? Yes. First question is from Rick Bell with the Calgary Sun. Rick, your line is open. I just have uh, one question about tech and one question about Bill 1. The question about tech is that... Uh, uh, to the premier, uh, given the fact that yes, given the fact that yesterday you um, talked about Tech's exit being at least in part because they knew there was going to be a, a delay of their project, you had said a few weeks ago that if Tech didn't go ahead, the reaction from the government would be quote swift and serious. What swift and serious thing is the government going to do to get the attention of the feds? 
on what has happened with this tech project. Rick, just a, a small correction. Uh, what I said was that if the Trudeau government vetoed the project, that our response would be swift and serious. They did not veto the project. Unfortunately, I think they did contribute to the uh, circumstances where uh, the tech uh, mining company pulled the application uh, because of uh, an obvious delay that would, was going to occur. Now, Rick, uh, I actually believe that based on my conversations with uh, with the federal government, uh, that uh, they were open to a prospective uh, endorsement of the application, to an approval of the application. They were asking, uh, they were, they were, they're going to seek more time. It's clear to everyone that they were going to uh, delay this for a matter of months, um, uh, in part because of the current political context uh, around resource issues. And um, they wanted to get into a bigger conversation with us about uh, energy and environmental issues. A conversation that we've been trying to have with them since the day we were elected in April of last year. Um, so uh, I believe there was a potential way forward to get to a federal yes on the frontier mine, but the delay contributed to the, the, the mining company killing the project. Um, yesterday, we saw this, the, the action that this government is taking in the decision of the Alberta Appeal Court, historic four to one a majority decision, uh, striking down the imposition of the federal carbon tax in Alberta. Uh, and we will be finding that all the way to the Supreme Court. We are not relenting. Um, yesterday, I affirmed that we will be bringing forward a citizen initiated referendum law. Yesterday, I affirmed, as the throne speech does today, that our government will use every tool available to us to ensure a future for our energy industry. And we are prepared in our time to do as Peter Law, he did in his, uh, to, if absolutely necessary, uh, be a financial partner with the industry to ensure that there is a path forward. And we are taking a very broad view of that. So in other words, if there are commercial proponents of projects like the Frontier Mine who are not willing to proceed because of political risk that has been created in part by bad Ottawa policies, then we in principle are in some, in, in some cases willing to step forward um, to ensure that such projects proceed. So that those are some of the measures that uh, we have signaled. We have to do uh, work on, on that, obviously. We're not going to, uh, to risk tax dollars um, uh, at, uh, uh, through improvisation. We are going to be very deliberate about, uh, about what we do uh, to provide uh, a financial path forward for uh, jobs and the energy sector. You have a follow-up, Rick? Um, just supplementary, because of what you said, I think I'll use it on, on tech as well. So are you saying, you're, you, you seem to be saying, while the Trudeau government may, depending on the circumstances, have approved it, so what should Albertans feel about the Trudeau government's role or lack of role now that you've told us what you've told us? For instance, there's going to be yeah. a... House of Commons emergency debate tonight on the issue of tech. So should Albertans what? be upset or angry yeah, yeah. or miffed or not? Yes. They, Is they, it fair or yeah. unfair to be so? 
given the fact that you say that the feds were open to a yes? Well, is that what you're saying that they were at least open to a yes? I believe they. I I I believe it was possible to get to a yes. But I believe that the company withdrew its application because of uncertainty that was in part created by the delays. The point I made yesterday, I will reiterate, there never should have been delays. This should have been an automatic federal affirmation of the decision of the joint regulatory panel uh, that went through an exhaustive nine-year process in which the company spent over a billion dollars through which all 14 uh, local First Nations entered into benefit agreements. My point was that, yes, I believe there was a possible way to get to a yes, but there was also the, a very real possibility of a federal veto, and there was the certainty of a delay. That delay, that uncertainty, is part of a trend that killed the $40 billion Patronus LNG project, the largest proposed direct foreign investment in Canadian history. That delay and uncertainty is what killed the... Uh, $8 billion Energy East project, which would have achieved the dream of energy independence. Uh, that tendency to politicize the regulatory process is what killed the Northern Gateway pipeline. The, those delays and regulatory uncertainty under this government is what caused Kinder Morgan to flee Canada, leaving taxpayers holding the bag on the Trans Mountain expansion. That uh, regulatory uncertainty and delay is what led ultimately to the frontier decision. So yes, I say that the federal government bears uh, at least partial responsibility for this. The point is we were willing to bend over backwards, to work constructively with them, to do what was necessary to get with the yes, and we proved that in the dying days of the project by signing uh, unqualified ben uh, agreements with, uh, with the two most uh, local First Nations, the Mikasaw Cree, Cree, excuse me, the Mikasaw Cree, Mikasaw Cree, and the Athabasca Chippewan First Nation. So we did our part, uh, and I don't believe Ottawa did its part. Hello again, I'm Peter Van Dusen. We've been listening to Alberta Premier Jason Kenney taking questions from reporters today after his government tabled legislation targeting protesters who disrupt vital infrastructure such as railroads. And now we'll shift our focus to the latest developments in the coronavirus outbreak and Canada's response to it. The World Health Organization is warning countries to prepare now for a pandemic of the COVID-19 coronavirus. But the WHO also says the growing outbreak has not yet risen to the point of a global pandemic because it isn't spreading uncontained. The number of global cases now exceeds 80,000, the vast majority in China. There have been 2,700 deaths. South Korea has the largest number of cases outside of China at nearly 900, with 10 deaths reported so far there. Iran has reported 95 cases now and 15 deaths. Italy reports total, uh, a total rather of 280 cases and seven deaths in that country. And there are now single cases being reported in Austria and Croatia. As containment now becomes a challenge, how will Canada respond? Here's the Federal Minister of Health speaking with reporters earlier today on Parliament Hill. 
Great to see you. Nice Do you have an opening you. statement? or? Uh... I don't really have an opening statement other than to reiterate what Dr. Tam said yesterday, which is that as uh, it appears that uh, containment is less and less likely to be successful globally, that now we turn our focus to our domestic preparedness and ensure that our systems and structures across provinces and territories are ready to deal with uh, the eventuality of any outbreak. What my folks would like to ask you about is what Atlanta and the Center for Disease Control is saying about COVID-19 arriving in the United States and preparedness and what they are trying to do and then of course what we're trying to do because mm -hmm. the border will Absolutely. Look, at, we obviously keep a very close eye on what's happening in terms of North America and North America's containment efforts, and we've been working very closely with uh, the United States and along with our G7 partners, and I've been having weekly meetings with ministers of health, so uh, that's been very helpful to understand where people are at in terms of their preparedness. I will remind Canadians that the American system is very different than ours, and we do have a pandemic plan, and we have been working provincially and territorially with our partners across the country since, uh, since Dr. Tam noticed, in fact, in late December the cluster of infection that was happening in Wuhan and so we have an advantage of having that pandemic planning it well in advance uh, we also don't need to call it a public health emergency in order to trigger all of those systems and structures to come into place and we also have a robust system of uh, testing as you know both at provincial level but also the federal lab that's able to provide testing results very quickly and, and confirm testing at the provincial level so we're in a different situation than the United States from an organizational perspective but I what I would say is that I reiterate their concern around the potential of an outbreak in Canada. You know, we obviously have been monitoring the situation closely, and as the uh, as the virus has spread internationally, and countries are now uh, finding themselves in circumstances that, uh, you know, just a week ago they weren't, uh, what it indicates to us is that the spread is is uh, is happening and that we must be prepared in Canada. Can anything be done spread? for the when people the in Iran, Canadians uh, who are uh, Certainly, uh, I think, through Minister Champagne's office, they're, uh, you know, they're obviously offering consular support, but I think it's sh we should be clear that repatriation efforts um, are limited at this point. It's difficult at this point to uh, commit to an ongoing repatriation process. We have to remember that takes a lot of resources, and the resources have to be focused in terms of our domestic response. It's important for Canadians to realize that this may cause disruptions in their lives. It might mean that uh, you know, if someone is ill in their family, that uh, that people are isolated. That Businesses may have to have uh, contingency plans if, in fact, there is an outbreak in, in their particular community. And I think that's the focus that we have now, is really ensuring that provinces and territories have what they need from a health systems perspective and that Canadians are taking steps to protect themselves and to prevent um, disruption in their lives should there be an outbreak in their community. When the spread was contained in Wuhan, uh, there were screening measures at the airports for people coming back from the region. So perhaps they were Sorry. asked uh, if they were coming back from Wuhan, if they had symptoms. Are you going to implement the same sort of pre-screening from people coming back from Italy or from Iran? Because there's 35 countries in play now uh, that we know of, and I would suggest likely other countries that we don't know of, um, screening uh, becomes less relevant and domestic uh, d d d domestic delay and mitigation is more important. Let's not forget that it's also flu season, so if we can delay the onset of any outbreak in Canada to get us through flu season, it will actually alleviate the burden on our healthcare system, but it will also then prevent, uh, provide us a bit more of a window to understand the virus and give some time in terms of possible antidotes 
for people that are uh, ill with the virus. But there could are I countries, if I could just get a follow-up, there are countries where it is a, seems to be a bit worse than others, maybe less contained, like Iran, at, at the very least. Is there no measure that you can take to have a better we are, look at people coming back from there, given that we've now seen cases of spread in Iran? So that level of screening at the airport has uh, proven in previous outbreaks not to be efficient. So, for example, in SARS, everybody's temperature was taken. Not one case of SARS was detected during that or time. Or without doing that, but, but we have suggesting... If, if you have symptoms, maybe uh, so we are doing isolated. that. So there is new information for international travelers from any any place um, to monitor themselves. In fact, if they feel ill or unwell, to contact local public health uh, to let them know that they've traveled internationally. And obviously, travel advice is changing for people out for uh, 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 you know passengers that are uh, choosing to travel to other countries. Uh, there is travel advice based on the severity of outbreak in those particular so it's countries. Not country specific, I... it's just that wide, is what you're for international travel for Canadians traveling out, outbound. Uh, yes, there is specific information and risk levels associated with countries' experience around coronavirus. Mm -hmm. But for people coming from international travel and returning to Canada or coming to Canada, um, the message is around screening for any, uh, any concern around health. Can we come back to, obviously, there's been a lot of this stuff has been limited to the people who travel internationally. But what is your message, and just recap if we could, for the average Canadian, be it on the streets of Port Arthur or in Etobicoke or, you know, Lethbridge, every right. there is an element of the population that will get a little freaky about this sort of stuff. So, absolutely, what, what's your message? Well, first of all. I'm the kind of person that likes to prepare for the worst, and if we can say later on that we've had too much preparation, then I think I'd rather err on the side of too much preparation. And so I think for Canadians, uh, the message is, first of all, protect your health, wash your hands frequently. If you're sick, stay home. If you're able to uh, you know, determine that you're not feeling well, to, to stay home and prevent the risk of spreading illness in the community. Uh, I would remind Canadians that it is flu season, and to get your flu shot, it will help eliminate uh, the flu if, in fact, you find yourself ill or severely ill. It will also help reduce the burden on health care, which we will want to be doing so that we can respond if there is an outbreak. And finally, I would say to Canadians that uh, preparing yourself and your lives to be ready for disruption is always a good measure. Obviously, emergency preparedness is always a good measure. You know, we don't know whether the power will go out or whether there will be an outbreak in our community. So having a supply of food on hand or, you know, your prescription medications filled up, those are always good measures to have. And I think when we live in a society that's just in time like ours, we often and forget that um, disruption can happen, whether it's a snowstorm or an outbreak. And so my message to Canadians today is to take it seriously. Obviously, we are working very closely. There's still, you know, at this point, is not uh, uh, there are not many cases in Canada, but that could change at any time, given that there is, uh, there is uh, such a transmission globally. So can you talk a little bit about, uh, I guess, sort of the communications channels that are, that are ongoing because of the, the coronavirus? has now um, become really a global health emergency uh, that we saw a few weeks ago, but now, as you know, we were saying, countries like Italy, Iran, and others, what is happening, I guess, behind the scenes to, to stay, uh, I guess, abreast of the developments and, and keep the needs? Yeah, so at many levels, uh, officials are working together to, uh, from a public health perspective, to make sure that local public health systems are strong, that our hospital and our, our health care systems are strong and have what they need. The federal government has a convening power, and we've used that, and so there are multiple groups meeting to talk about various aspects of infectious disease process, uh, making sure that the equipment is in place, that there 
the right protective gear is available at the various provincial levels, um, as well as uh, we have a scenario planning at the whole of government approach to sort of understand what this disruption might look like at a large in a larger scale for our country. Last question. Thanks. Oh, you're all good. Okay, thank you very much. Hello again, I'm Peter Van Dusen. We've been listening to Canada's health minister with an update on the coronavirus outbreak and Canada's response to it. That's all for another edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC, the cable public affairs channel. Thanks for watching.